So for the purpose of the podcast, I just want to make note of the scripture readings again. And so today we read from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11, and Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. Now a little boy was visiting his grandparents, and he was given his first slingshot. So he went into the woods so that he could practice using his new slingshot. But he practiced and he practiced and he practiced and he never did hit one of his targets. So he came back towards the house and he saw grandma's pet duck. And he took aim and he let fly and the duck went down dead. So the boy panicked. And a little desperate, he took the dead duck and he hid it in the wood pile and when he looked up, he saw his sister Sally, who had seen everything. So after lunch that day, Grandma said, Now, Sally, let's wash the dishes. And Sally said, Oh, Johnny told me he wanted to do that and help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And then she turns and whispers to him and says, Remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. And then Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing, but Grandma said, I'm sorry, I need Sally to help make dinner. And Sally smiled and said, well, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. And she turned and said, remember the duck. And so Johnny stayed while Sally got to go fishing. Now this went on for a few days, and finally Johnny got fed up of doing his own chores and Sally's chores as well. And so he finally went to Grandma and confessed that he killed her pet duck. I know Johnny, she said. She gave him a big hug. I was standing at the window. I saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long it would take for you to finally stop Sally from making a slave of you and your guilt. (laughs) Guilt is a funny thing. It keeps us captive and prevents us from living the life God has called us to. So the lessons today are all Paul's stories. Isaiah's call to be a prophet, Paul's call to be an apostle, and Jesus' call to his first disciples from fishing boats to ministry. But each of these stories also addresses how those who were called also felt unworthy. So first we have Isaiah. Confronted by the angels and the Lord, he realizes how out of place he really is. In fact, he remembers Moses' words from before, where Moses said that no one will ever look on the Lord and live. And there's Isaiah looking on the Lord. He is certain that he's going to die because he has seen the Lord and he knows that he's unworthy. He's confronted with the shadow of his sin in the light of Christ. And he says, woe is me. I am unclean. I'm surrounded by people who've turned away from God. And now I'm looking at the Lord. I will certainly die. And as the seraphim touch the coal to his lips, they say, your guilt has departed. And your sin is blotted out. Your guilt has departed. You see, with guilt comes fear. Fear of being left out or found out. Fear of being found out. Fear of consequences. Fear of not being enough. Without the guilt, Isaiah has nothing to fear. Now that's important because God has a mission for him. And now he can willingly say, send me. 
Of course, silly man didn't even know what the mission was yet. The mission God would send him on was to proclaim to all of Israel that everything would be destroyed and that they would be sent off to exile. It would be a very difficult task because he was supposed to say that nothing would be left of Israel but the stump of Jesse. It is not one for the faint of heart or the fearful. Isaiah needed to know the good news of God's love and acceptance before he was ready to do the work of the Lord. He needed to hear that God already knew his guilt and loved him and called him anyway. He couldn't be captive to guilt and fear if he was going to follow God's call. And then we have Paul. Now, most of us know the story of Paul. Paul had first been a persecutor of those first followers of Christ. His guilt and his mistakes were big. But instead of being captive to them, he confronted them. He confessed them. He told the church in Corinth exactly who he was. Might as well. They probably already knew. He called himself one untimely born. That term is used for stillbirth, for children who were born dead. And as far as he was concerned, he, his faith was dead until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so then it wasn't his zealous faithfulness that turned his heart. It was God's grace. It was the good news that in spite of what he had done in the past, God had a place for him in the work of the kingdom. And then we come to the gospel text, the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. In her blog, Journey with Jesus, Debbie Thomas sets the scene for us. She says, in Jesus' day, the fishing industry in Palestine was fully under the control of the Roman Empire. Caesar owned every body of water, and all fishing was state-regulated for the benefit of the urban elite. Fishermen couldn't obtain licenses to fish without joining a syndicate. Most of what they caught was exported, leaving local communities impoverished and hungry. And the Romans collected exorbitant taxes, levies, and tolls each time the fish were sold. To catch even one fish outside of this exploitative system was considered illegal. There was no family fishing off of the dock. So Simon and Zebedee and their crews had spent all night Fishing, and, and there was nothing to show for it. That meant that they would have nothing to sell. No way to provide for their families that day. And there's a sense of guilt, even when we've done our best and we fall short of the hopes of our loved ones. When we can't do what we've signed up to do. When we fail at our jobs. I imagine there was a sense of failure hovering over the fishermen as they finished cleaning and mending their nets that morning along the shore. They would have to go home and tell their families that they had caught nothing. They would have to tell the Romans they had nothing to sell that day. They would have to dig deeper in their pockets to pay for the opportunity to have been on the water, even though there was nothing in the boat. And then Jesus comes along, and he's making demands of these tired men. He hops in one of their boats and says, um, take, take me out into the water a little bit. I want to preach to these people. And Simon looks up, turns around, and sees this crowd of people hovering around them and thinks, oh, great. Now we've got all these people who can witness our failure, and we've got this crazy man in a boat thinking that we're going to take him out into the water. Now maybe this is the same Simon whose mother-in-law was healed by Jesus just previous. 
And in that case, you know, maybe he felt obligated to Jesus. Maybe he was even a little bit excited. Either way, once he takes Jesus out into the water and he's stuck in the boat with him, he is a captive audience to his teaching. And then when Jesus is done, he tells Simon to throw his net into the water. Now, mother-in-law or not, Simon is not excited for this opportunity because it didn't work overnight when they were supposed to do it. And he doesn't want to display his failure to the world. So, you know, he turns to Jesus and says, and says, Sir, we were out here all night, and we didn't catch anything. Now, trust me, I know my job. This is my job. I know what I'm doing. There is no point. And he tries to stare Jesus down, but Jesus wins. And so Simon sighs and says, Fine, dude. We'll put the, we'll put the nets in. But I'm telling you, don't, don't tell me I didn't tell you so later. So he throws the net out. And a breath later... The net pulls so hard it nearly capsizes the boat. And he calls to Zebedee and the others on the shore, come out and help us. And the newly mended nets begin to break and it takes everything these seasoned fishermen have to pull in the fish and get it back to shore. And astounded and ashamed, Simon falls to his feet, or falls at Jesus' feet and says, I am not worthy to be in your presence. Save yourself from my guilt and my shame. Just please go. Go for your own sake. In the light of Christ, we are confronted with the shadows of our guilt and our shame. And we realize that we have no business being in the presence of God. But that's not what Jesus tells us. It's not how Jesus reacts to us. Because if that were the case, God wouldn't have come into our presence. God wouldn't have been Emmanuel. God with us. There would be no Jesus, no Christ on the cross, no resurrection. Instead, Christ came to us as one of us. Instead, Christ enters our presence, enters our lives, enters our world for the very purpose of being with us. Not just to be with us, but to release us from the captivity of our guilt and shame. I know I've said it many times before. I'm going to say it again, a quote from Richard Rohr. Jesus didn't die to change God's mind about us. He died to change our minds about God. He, when, when we think that God could not love us or want to be a part of us, Jesus reminds us that God has chosen us. God calls us. God dies for us, and then God sends us. God sends us out to tell others. Set free from the chains of guilt and sin, we are equipped to share the good news with the whole world. We don't need special tools. We only need our own story, our story, my story, your story. Like Paul, we can tell the world who we really are and how much God loves us and calls us anyway. Like Isaiah, we can say, send me before we even know what the mission is. Like the disciples, the fishermen, we can follow Jesus without a second thought because in our sinfulness, he says to us, do not be afraid. And if God tells us there is nothing to fear, then there is nothing to fear. We need not fear failure because we are not called to be successful. We need not fear rejection because we are not called to convince other people we're right. We need not fear death because we're not called to survive this life. We are only called to be faithful. Faithful. We are called to follow. And God knows very well that along the way we're going to stumble and we're going to lose our way. 
And we're going to turn around how many times, and we're going to sometimes feel completely paralyzed and stop where we are. And that's why the scripture says over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not fear, God tells Isaiah and Israel, for I am with you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. The angel tells Mary, do not be afraid. Even after the resurrection, Jesus enters that upper room and says, first words out of his mouth, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. Do not be afraid. Follow me. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid, but go. Baptize, teach, and make disciples, for I am with you always. Amen.